Mars. Episode 0038. Few good men versus my cousin Vinny. Get ready to be objectified, overturned, and sustained. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 0038 of the Movie Wars podcast. Don't I feel like the fucking asshole? I'm your host, Kyle. What do you want to discuss now? My favorite podcast? I'm Drew. Well, there's a fucking surprise. <laughs> it's me, Phil. <laughs> I'm glad you didn't do another Jack Nicholson quote. These movies are infinite, infinitely quotable for different reasons. One comedically, one dramatically. We are doing A Few Good Men versus My Cousin Vinny. What a great matchup, and it was kind of a risk. Right, because forever we. So if you don't know how the show works, typically what happens is after we record, we'll have cigars and we'll say what's our next matchup. We've had a few good men uh, on one list for months, and then we had my cousin Vinny on one, and never really thought of them together because one's dramatic and one's comedy. But when you do research, it kind of felt like there wasn't a, a, just a good enough drama in the courtroom category to go against few good men, and the same for the comedy category for my cousin Vinny. And I was texting Drew over the break. I was like, "Am I crazy, or is my cousin Vinny and a few good men the perfect matchup?" And boy, am I glad we picked it because there ended up being a lot of little connective things that I didn't think about till I watched them back to back. Both came out in 92. Both main actors, Pesci and Cruz, aren't necessarily incredibly dynamic, but they're both actors who their style gets leveraged in all kinds of styles. We've had Pesci in the greatest Scorsese. True. He's in Home Alone. Yeah. They're sometimes comedians. They're sometimes act murderers. <clears throat> they play everything. But he's Pesci. Mm-hmm. He's Pesci and everything. Cruz, Minority Report, Top Gun. He's Tom Cruise. Jerry <laughs> I love Boyer. how you lead with Minority Report. I know, I know. Yeah. One of his worst. I know. One of his worst. I the one I hate the most. Uh, but you know, these guys aren't necessarily super dynamic. But when you when you put them in these scenarios, directors that work with them love working with them. And I, I, what I've heard is that they're both directors, actors. They both are just professional, and they just do their thing. And so I love that about them. Also, both of these lawyer uh, lawyers lawyer. <laughs> both of these lawyers in the films had oh, never man. been in the courtroom. I didn't realize that's a small thing, but yeah, no, it, it's it. not. A, it's really not a small yeah. thing. Yeah. Because that's kind of the, the like, subplot of the two movies is like the turning point in um, A Few Good Men when Cruz puts together that the reason they hired him is because he never goes to trial. So they didn't want it to go to trial. Yeah. And then like, you know, Pesci's thing with, he's like, nah, I've, you know, I just passed the bar exam six After weeks six ago. After six years. You know? Yeah. So anyway, it's that's genius. actually massive. Mm-hmm. Like, Kudos to you, point. Kyle. You pulled this one right out of your ass. I know, but it was also kind of like uh, the fact that it worked. I was like, yay, we get to do two of my favorite movies, two of the greatest movies I've ever made. Um, you know, and when you do a Google search, it's like best courtroom movies. These movies always come up. And I, I think A Few Good Men by a lot of people is considered the best courtroom movie. And because my cousin Vinny's a comedy, it gets knocked down a little, but they really are in the same league. And and the last thing I want to close with is it's really interesting to me. I like to think about how Hollywood exaggerates things uh, and how it changes the sheen of things. And you and we all three know the same lawyer I'm going to refer to. I'll keep him anonymous, but one of our best friends is a lawyer. A lawyer. I Say gotta, it however I, you want. I got to shake the fucking Arkansas. No. Oh, no, no. Here's say the thing. it however you fucking want. Yeah. However you want to say it, Coyle. <laughs> lawyer. You say it, okay? You're a lawyer. Nobody say can give you, you shit <laughs> about how you say lawyer. Uh, you're right. Fuck the naysayers. <laughs> <laughs> there really isn't a genre of film that has exaggerated an area of real life as much, I think, as the legal films, because every lawyer I know hates them. He, they hate legal movies, and I actually asked our friend just for a couple things that he doesn't like. It's like, I spend most of my time reading. Oh, Almost all of my time stuff rarely goes to trial. It's just it's like true. this Hollywood has taken the courtroom genre and just blown it up. And it's so exaggerated, but it's really not very realistic compared to really what happens in our legal system. Yeah, have it's, you ever been in a real courtroom? I mean, they still haven't cleaned the asbestos out of those things. Yeah, it's, just it's, like, it's pretty gross. Yeah, it's not a scene, man. But it's I just think it's funny. I love thinking about it. It's like every time I watch it, it's like, I'm entertained, but this is not the life of a lawyer right here. This isn't how it's done. So anyway, I thought that was a funny thing. Anyway, you Let's go impressions, Drew. Man, these movies, it's like if a studio head said, all right, I want to develop a courtroom film with a strong lead actor who's never done, I want this attorney to never have been in a courtroom before. I want there to be a strong female foil, a pain in his ass all along the way. I want him to be defending two completely like oblivious guys. <laughs> I want it to be set in a really sad place. In this case, it was <laughs> mm-hmm. so true. Guantanamo Wazoo Bay City. or Alabama. Wazoo City, Alabama. And if the next one was, I want it to be a 
drama, you write a few good men. If the next question is, I wanted to be a comedy, you write my cousin Vinny. And th- that's why these two movies were such a pleasure to watch back to back. And they're just so both so well done. And like the pacing is perfect. Like you never feel bored. You never feel, I mean, I, I would say you never feel confused. Although like even with a few good men, I mean, there's stuff happening in the dialogue where I'm like, I don't know what that means. I don't know mm-hmm. what the fuck they're talking about. And yet I still know what's happening. Like where it hits on all levels. Like Sorkin is such a genius at that where it's like, yeah, this is just nonsense, but also yeah. I know I'm tracking with you. And uh, so anyway, these movies were just so much fun, mm-hmm. like so, so well done. And I think they're a perfect matchup and I'll definitely rewatch both of these. Yeah. And and on your point before we go to Phil, it also felt like watching these back to back. I didn't feel like I was, there was a drop off or a step up. Like I felt like there was, even though they're different genres, there was like just a straight step, like the quality, the entertainment level, the pace. Like I just felt like it was from one big strong hook to another. And I love that because sometimes it feels like eh, there's a little bit of a drop off or yep. we're kind of working our way up. These felt so equal. Yeah, A Few Good Men to me is one of those, it's it's near and dear to my heart because every time, like growing up, my dad would, my dad loved this movie and I actually never saw the beginning of this movie for a really long time, but every time it was on TV, my dad would stop and watch it. Usually like the last scene out. He pulled me aside one day, he's like, someone watch this last scene. And I was like, just mind blown because it's one of the greatest scenes in cinematic mm. history in my in my opinion. It's I mean, you so can't good. handle the truth. Oh, it's are you actually, kidding? Yeah, absolutely iconic. Yeah. Did you order the code red? Like that moment out Ugh. is just like, I just had chills. My hair was standing on top. It was so good. So that that scene means a lot to me. It makes me think of my dad every time and it's always just a, a pleasure to, to watch again. Oh yeah. I somehow had never seen A Few Good Men. I don't know how this movie had, I'd gone my entire life without seeing it because it's right up my alley. It is like, I loved every second of that film and I can't wait to go back and watch it again. Literally everything that Drew just said, like the pacing of it. You never feel overwhelmed, but there's also never a down moment. Like you're never just like, okay, let's speed this shit up. Like that movie is just, it's perfectly paced, perfectly written. The acting is fantastic. It, it just felt like, I know we say this a lot and we're and it probably makes us sound like boomers or something, but like <laughs> they don't make them like that anymore. That pacing with that level of detail. I mean, Hollywood doesn't take those kind of risks anymore. Like I don't feel like you're going to see a preview for a courtroom drama about the U.S. military, you know, advertised to you while you're watching Sunday Night Football or anything. It just, to me, harkened back to a time where Hollywood took risks and Hollywood was also not afraid to tell stories that didn't handhold the audience. That was one of my big takeaways from A Few Good Men. It was just an intelligent film, but it wasn't like so over everyone's head that, not to insult anybody, but like, you know, Johnny Trash Collector couldn't enjoy it or something Mm. like that. It was like, it was extremely accessible. (laughs) I'm sorry. It was accessible, but it was still really smart. It was, it's like, that to me is the epitome of storytelling. When a lot of people can watch it and get a lot out of it, depending on who you are. And my cousin Vinny is a lifelong favorite of mine. Like, I've seen it a ton of times over the years. So many bizarre memories attached to that movie. It was just a joy to watch it again, and especially back-to-back with A Few Good Men, because, like, those movies are far more similar than you would think. I would strongly recommend watching these two movies back-to-back. They share so many common threads and themes, and, like, yeah, they're one's a blatantly a comedy, and the other one is definitely a drama, but they share just so much DNA, and so mm. one of my favorite matchups we've done in a minute. So yeah. good. Like I said, there was no drop-off. There was no, like, trying to, like, justify why we matched these up. They went together so well. But really, the big differentiator was the genre, and that was it. Um, I, you know, Joe Pesci's my third favorite actor of all time. I love how he's used in so many movies, and especially between the late 80s and the and the mid-90s, he made so many interesting choices with Home Alone, right? Goodfellas, Dude, My Cousin Vinny. You can't, I can't really think of a guy that, that changes his acting as little as he does, yet he works in so many different types of movies. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just crazy how his his style and the fact that before Raging Bull he was managing an Italian restaurant the only reason he got back into acting is because De Niro begged him to be in Raging Bull and begged Scorsese to let him be and that's how he got back into acting I mean he's just he's a lifelong guy he's he's absolutely one of my favorite actors My Cousin Vinny is probably a top I would say a top 30 film for me I gutturally laughed one of you said they don't do it like they used to or they don't make them they don't make comedies like this anymore I mean they don't make comedies at all anymore that's true they all suck now and what occurred to me watching this was he's I mean obviously I knew this about him from home alone but it was a reminder of this he is such a good physical actor he is yes he is and I don't think of him as that because I think mm-hmm. of him as like the, the gangster like badass mafia mm-hmm. kind of guy in the Scorsese films but he's so funny yeah. like, the way, like when he came out shooting his gun like in his underpants <laughs> yes. and his leather jacket with his hair screwed up like <laughs> yeah. just the way that shot was filmed too like overhead also, and he like, yeah. looked around and when the, he got, sorry go ahead the sound <laughs> design in this film I forgot about this until just now the noises in the first like half 
of the movie when they're trying to get sleep and there's a new noise. Dude, that screech owl was the epitome. That that sound was hilarious. We were me and my wife were just bent over laughing at that, and then he comes out in his underwear shooting at nothing. It's <laughs> such a good scene. Yeah. And then just this the awkward, like owl. he just kind of looks around and then it just cuts like right at the perfect time. Yeah, this yeah. Damn fucking owl sitting on a branch just going. When, rah, he, when he gets out of the car in the mud and just slips. I mean, that was probably a body double who did that slip. I don't know if that was him or not. I couldn't quite so tell. Intense. I had to rewind it to see and I still couldn't tell, but it was so funny. Yeah. It was so good. And what can you say from Marissa Tomei? I mean, she's, when I was a kid, watching my cousin Vinny, <laughs> I... She's I fine. Did. You know, and the thing about A Few Good Men, I don't know that there's a movie out there where you just bite your nails until that courtroom scene. Oh. Like, the whole movie's good, but it's like waiting for the Super Bowl, almost. It's just like, like, this is good, but in a minute, there's gonna be Nicholson and Cruz in the courtroom. <laughs> and, yeah. Right? Right, right. Yeah. And it never fails. Both Two generational legends. Yes. From separate, mm -hmm. like they, 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 there was crossover in mm -hmm. their careers, but those guys are generational yeah. legends. Cruz was entering a new, a new pantheon in his career. Yeah, you know, he was entering, he was kind of really separating from the, yeah, he's separating from the Top Gun. He's separating. He's kind of working into this hybrid comedy, hybrid, you know, kind of laughable character. And yeah. and really, I mean, you look at this body work, and then he goes to do Jerry Maguire. This really was a kind of he had been doing good work, and this was a big separation for him. Into oh yeah, his for next, sure. No, that's a, I love that point. Dude looks so young in that movie. Like, oh, yeah. It was, he looked like a little kid. It was weird, actually, because Tom Cruise, to me, has always been like Tom Cruise. And you're looking at him in this, and he looks like he's 17. Like, yeah. Weird. Yeah, so that is our impressions. And uh, before we lodge into... <laughs> Are they? Is that what we just did? <laughs> Sorry, that was the worst transition ever. Fuck you, Kyle. That was awful. <laughs> that was our impression. Yeah, that was and, our impression. And uh, now Man. moving on to the second that part was... of the podcast. This is the if first... If you turn your pages... Turn your book to page two. Turn in your hymnals. We, uh, this is for our first recording uh, since Christmas, so yeah, we're, it's we're true. getting back yeah. into we're it. All, yeah, you guys will have rusty. another episode we're from us. holiday weight, and we're yeah. a little hungover. Mm. I'll give you the randos, but you gotta ask me nicely. Ooh! God, that scene. <laughs> yes. If you didn't know who Jack Nicholson's character was by then, you did after mm. that. Alright, a few good randos. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the story is actually based on a true story, so these, these, red, these code reds were a thing, and they were being reported, and they actually were an issue, and they were specific to Guantanamo Bay. And Aaron Sorkin's sister was a JAG lawyer. So JAG, Judge Advocate General's course. I didn't know that before I watched the special features. There was features. a whole really shitty network show about That's that. That's all concept. I knew about JAG. JAG. Yeah. JAG. JAG. Yeah. Oh, does that show happen without this movie? Oh, I don't, I don't I know enough about yeah. that show. Because didn't that come out like 94, like right after this? I feel like it did. It, yeah, might be right. Let us know in the comments if yeah. I'm up, uh, if I'm uh, full Like, shit. comment, and subscribe. <laughs> Smash that like button. That's jagged up, man. Nice. <laughs> JAG Nicholson, right? <laughs> no, JAG Nicholson. So for those that don't know, that is the legal arm of the Navy. And so Aaron Sorkin's sister called him one night. So this was actually a play originally. So he had written this. It was a success on Broadway. Uh, Sorkin wrote it. It was in 1989. His sister called him and told him about the story of 10 Marines that broke into a room to basically beat the shit out of a pier. And it turned out it was ordered by a high-ranking official. And so it was, these code reds were a real thing and it's based on a real story. Aaron Sorkin's sister. Mm. Sister Sorkin. Kiefer Sutherland, uh, you have 24 hours to revive your movie career. That was uh, from the Dane Cook roast. Do you remember Dane Cook when he, he they did the uh, roast of they did the roast of Bob Saget I think but do we still talk about Dan Cook like, yeah like well, his I didn't brother know stole was, all of his money did you know that I didn't know if his, it was okay to talk about Dan so Cook, anyway I, like. it, I always think of that because Kiefer Sutherland was in the crowd at this roast and Dan Cook goes so good he goes Kiefer Sutherland's here you got 24 hours to revive your movie career Lost Boys was great oh, wow my god <laughs> anyway Kiefer Dane Sutherland. Cook said that yeah yeah fucking karma's a was bitch prime, isn't it Dane this was prime Dan Cook he is a bad driver apparently the excuse was these Humvees in the movie are, are much wider. They they didn't anticipate. You know that movie when Kiefer's driving? I mean, Humvees are wide as fuck. Mm -hmm. Like Those are big vehicles. Yeah. So they're they're driving and they got, you know, Demi's in the car. They got Tom Cruise in the car. Yes. On oh, and they split the ranks of, of those guys doing PT. On multiple takes, he hit people with the Humvee. He, no! He clipped four people the first time. I think he clipped like six people the second time. Kiefer did? Kiefer, yeah. And Because he, he was actually driving the Humvee. Kiefer? Kiefer Kie barely drove Kiefer. her. And what's funny is no one really knows the amount of people he hit, but later someone asked <laughs> someone asked Sorkin, or Sorkin was on set and he asked Tom Cruise, like, did I hear that Kiefer hit some people with a Humvee? He goes, yeah, I hit like 16 people. No one actually knows how many well, people got The funny thing in. about that scene is when I was watching it, I was like, how the fuck did those guys not get hit by that? Like, they did. They <laughs> barely get out of the way of that thing. Yeah. Dude, and Kiefer was such an asshole in this movie. I mean, he played it really well. Like, he, I've never seen him in like, yeah. act like that, but I, I believe, believe in God things. and Jesus Christ, and because of that, I can say that he had, he had like, no code, no honor or whatever. He had like one answer. 
answer for everything, and that was it. Like, <laughs> Jesus like, and God, and no code. <laughs> Fuck you. This is crazy to me. Wolfgang Bodison, who played Harold Dawson, uh, one of the detainees, one of the people that perpetrated the Code Red that leads to this court case, was played by Wolfgang Bodison, who was Rob Reiner's assistant and location scout. He had never acted before. For three months, they tried to find someone to play that role, and Reiner was in the room with his assistant, with Wolfgang, and with a couple other people casting people. He was like, we just need someone big and strong like Wolfgang. And they all kind of looked at Wolfgang and were like, have you ever acted before? He's like, no. He's like, you want to try it? And so that's actually how he got into the role. Never wow. acted. He was Rob Reiner's that's assistant. Amazing. He does a great job. <sighs> you don't think it's great? I think, he, I think it's he's fine. He's a robotic Marine. I think they could have brought in somebody else. Yeah, the fact that they looked for three months and they landed on his assistant, that seems like more of a budget issue than anything. They already got Nicholson's making five. You know, Demi's making two. That's true. Sorkin wasn't Sorkin yet. Was Reiner Reiner? uh, Reiner was Reiner. Yeah, Yeah. because he had Mm -hmm. done... When Harry Met Sally? Yes. Mm. Oh, he did. That's Did that come out before? That was 89, I think, right? Yeah, that was 89, yeah. You're right. The aura around Jack Nicholson was crazy in this movie. So Nicholson was paid $5 million for 10 days of work, but he did more than he was contracted contractually obligated to do. In fact, he did 50 takes of the courtroom speech and he said by the end of it, he was absolutely exhausted but he, the directors uh, and producers were like, he really didn't have to do that much but he just wanted to pull it off. But even though there was some action, you have to remember Kiefer's not exactly super A-level. Tom Cruise is, is is castable, he's becoming a star but he hasn't quite hit that Tom Cruise stride yet. So when they said that when Jack Nicholson walked in the room for the table read, everyone ran to their seats like their boss just walked in the room. And, and whenever Damn. And he didn't have his first line of speech until 27, page 27 of the of uh, the screenplay. And they said that once Jack Nicholson says the first thing, what does he first say? Who the fuck is Corpor- or Corporal Santiago? Is, what was it? Oh. Who the fuck is? Oh, I don't know. I don't well, whatever, know. whatever his first line is. And they said every act, every actor in the room was like, okay, this is the Super Bowl. <laughs> we got to raise our game. Like like Jack Nicholson. And Nicholson- he's only in three scenes. Feels like he's there the whole time. Yes. His presence, he's so magnetic. He sucks all the energy out of the room. Um, but anyway, he said he actually blushed. He said there was so much reverence. And and if you guys know anything about Nicholson and his personal life, he's a little bit of a of a bohemian. He's kind of a kind of a free spirit. And I think even though he seems really larger than life on screen, I think in real life, I think it made him blush. He was a little kind of embarrassed by the amount of attention and That's reverence amazing. he was receiving. So uh, my cousin Randos, you guys ready for this? <laughs> yeah, my Rando cousin. Yes. My Rando cousin. <laughs> you know who I love this movie? Miranda Tomei was fantastic in this movie. <laughs> oh. They wanted to play up this small town thing really big. So if you notice in the when they first arrest Ralph Macchio and his friend and the car. They get interrogated in the sheriff's office in the electronics closet. Those They did that on purpose because they wanted to, everyone to know that this isn't a big town. We don't have interrogation rooms and mirrors. Like, we got to do all of our investigating in the electronics closet. Like, that's how we do it here in Wazoo City. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So, this is incredible. Austin Pendleton, the gentleman that plays the public defender, the stuttering public defender. Oh! <laughs> Dude, that guy. Hilarious. So, he was friends with director Jonathan Lynn going back 23 years. They were both in one of the original productions in London of The Fiddler on the roof and they were both in it and that's how they met so they've been friends for 23 years and so he was like this would be a great opportunity for us to finally work together and so he cast Austin Pendleton to play the public defender he doesn't know this though Pendleton in real life has a horrible stutter and he thought it was a sick joke originally when he read the script that his character had a horrible what? stutter because that's is that real he's real in real oh life he, and I think he's overcome it through acting and practicing but in real life he had a stutter he's very self conscious and he, he said he's like is this my, a... I, I'm like I'm like slack jawed right now oh, I know nobody oh, can oh. see me but I'm sitting here like slack jawed like a fucking slack jawed. What is it, Mr. Tuttle? Like a yoke. <laughs> that was the thing. Whenever he would overcome the stuttering, like in the moment and say the word, it was always like, so this person. <laughs> like it would just like come out in this like and really was, aggressive. And it was way. funny, but then when he'd sit down and be like, Well, I was nervous, but I'm getting better. Like he, he was like proud of himself every time. <laughs> and he's so mad down. at the witness. You'd like, expect him to be like devastated at how that went, but he was like oddly proud of how he did. It was can, so can funny. Can we reemphasize for all the people out there who demand that only people truly of a certain situation play the character. This guy stuttered for real. Yes, he did. All right, so oh, chill the fuck know. out. But what's funny is, in next time you guys watch it, really zoom in because uh, the guy that plays Stan Rothstein is uh, Mitchell Whitfield, who is Ralph Macchio's friend, uh, Gambini's friend, that gets arrested with him. He's covering his mouth because he it looks like he's horrified because he's hired this guy and he's doing horrible. Really what happened was he was laughing so hard in every take at Austin Pendleton's performance that he had to cover his face. He couldn't stop I mean, laughing at the stuttering. So zoom in next time because he's not doing it to act terrified. He's actually, la- he said, uh, the director said everybody on set was trying so hard not to laugh. <laughs> 
because it's... I believe it. I, I got laugh at every part. Because it's fucking funny. So, Marissa Tomei... Oh, sorry, I'll give you some separation. Five, four, three. I don't need separate. I cut all that shit out anyway. I if I can give you a little bit of space... If you need it, that's fine. Okay, I do need it. Thank you. So, the biggest credit uh, Marissa Tomei had before My Cousin Vinny, she played a flapper girl in one of Sly's Dumpster Fire films, Oscar, which was a dumpster fire, but she was a flapper girl. It wasn't a funny role, but it hadn't even come out yet, and Lynn was looking for someone to play this character, and so he actually went in with the director of Oscar and looked at the tape, and they were looking at the cutting room floor, and he was like, who is that? And it was like, that's Marissa Tomei, and she was really a nobody. In fact, this character of Mona, the studio was trying to cut her out of the film altogether. They didn't want her in the movie at all. And then oh, wow. he's like, well, not only do I want the character, I want this person that really hasn't done anything to play her. And so they, they thought it was a super big risk. They didn't want the character. They didn't want Marissa Tomei. She goes and gets the Oscar, and she plays one of the most memorable. She killed it. She killed it. One of the most memorable performances oh. in film Wait, period. she got the Oscar? She, she got won the Oscar an Oscar for this, for this yeah. movie? Yeah. Holy shit, yeah. I didn't I mean, know she, that. She was good. It was so over the top. and in like, But in the most like amazing Hollywood way that you could, you could want from a, a role like that. Yeah, Marissa Tomei, best actress. And it actually, to this day, is still some, there's some controversy. A lot of people think it was unfair, but I I mean, dude. That what was unfair? That she got it. There was some stiff competition, dude, I guess. Oscar, I mean, Oscars have always been bullshit anyway. Yeah. They're more bullshit than ever. If anybody's mad about that, it's a fucking yeah. arbitrary award where people make a decision based on subjective evaluation. So, whatever. Yep. So, in true fashion, mm -hmm. Joe Pesci, one of the reasons Lynn, Jonathan Lynn, lo loved working with him is because Pesci doesn't like to rehearse. And if you remember on, like, Goodfellas, he didn't like to rehearse. He liked to go every go in everything cold and he wanted to, like, work it out that way. And even though Lynn was really nervous, he said, it's Joe Pesci, so we're going to let him do it. He said, if we would have made him rehearse, he said the spontaneity would have died. And he said, the two best decisions he made, hiring Marissa Tomei, he said it was the best decision of his career, and letting po Pesci get his wish of never rehearsing. Because he said, there were so many spontaneous moments that weren't in the script that are make some of the best moments in the film. And he said, best decision we made. So a lot of what Joe Pesci does, it's unrehearsed. It's in the script, but he does his thing and he goes off and does Joe Pesci things. I and get that. That's there. I feel like there are really two different types of people when it comes to that approach. Like there are the people that need to be intimately familiar with, and this, this goes for anything, acting, like business, whatever, intimately familiar with the material in order to like present their best self. Then there are the people that just like want the highlights. Then they're going to come in and do their thing. And I get that because that's on, I mean, that's how I am. And, and I feel like I'm better for it. And mm -hmm. so I get that. Totally. totally. And it's funny with Joe Pesci because there was a moment where my wife and I were watching this movie and and we were like, it doesn't feel like he's acting. It feels like he's just out there doing it. He's so Pesciing. For To hear you say that, it's it, yeah. that resonates. Well, it's, it's just like the whole dinner, the whole lunch scene with the infamous, the most, one of the most gift things is the Ray Liotta laugh and Goodfellas at the dinner. <laughs> at the dinner table. Dude. Pesci is just literally more scared. He's like, you just go. I'm not, you, I'm not telling you what to do. You just do your thing. And that whole thing is just made up. Some people get in their heads if they're too, if they need to be like, if they want to just be spontaneous, they get in their heads if they feel like they need to like gravitate back to the script. And other people are like, they get in their heads if like, I, I'm not familiar enough with the material. I'm going to blow it. They, that freaks them out the other way. So yes. It just, it's, just depends yeah, on how you're wired. It, yeah. It's a wiring thing for yeah. sure. Well, I think for me as a, as someone that's a non-actor, I mean, I, I have played an extra, you know, where I got my ass kicked at a pool table in a movie. Thank you very much. The experiences. Um, but Pesci. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a failed comedian. You might say you're a failed actor. I am yeah. definitely a failed actor. <laughs> but just as someone who hasn't done it, to have the confidence in your craft, to say, I don't want to rehearse. And just, and to be Joe Pesci, to have that confidence and to deliver one of the best films and performance. I just, it's just amazing to me. All right, Rando Macchio. This is our last Rando. <laughs> the two Utes thing. This is my favorite Rando for the whole show. <laughs> That's such a great scene. What'd you say? <laughs> what was that <laughs> word? What? Also, fucking Fred Munster or Fred whatever. Fred Gwynn. Rest in peace. Like, the great Fred Gwynn. Gosh, that guy is such a unique looking human. 6'4". Mm -hmm. Two Utes, though. It actually is something Joe Pesci said. So, Jonathan Lynn, the director, and Joe Pesci, they were watching a lot of court TV. They were trying to learn legal stuff for to prepare because they wanted it to be realistic as possible. And so, Pesci, before they start filming, is talking to him about a case he saw where two young people were involved in the filming. And Lynn is British, so he's British as all, as all get out, and so he's talking to Pesci, and Pesci says, two Utes, because that's really how he says it. And director being, not just not just not knowing what a Ute is, being British, he's, and he thinking it's some American term. He's like, is this some American thing? He's <laughs> like, Regional. what is a Ute? <laughs> yeah. And he's like, so Pesci explains it to him, and they're like, we have to put this in the movie. And that, it's literally... Dude, it's so good. Swap out Jonathan Lynn for the judge. It's almost word for word what happened. That judge is amazing, by the way. Oh, Fred he's Gwen. so good. I thought he was a true pleasure to have I mean, he's, he's from the, the Munsters, right? Was yep. he in the and Pet Cemetery, but he also was a Shakespearean actor, and him and Jonathan Lynn had uh, done some stuff on British television early. He's actually British, believe it or not. Gosh, man, the, the <gasps> youth scene. He died in 93. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah, like right after this movie came out. That was an amazing scene. It's like at this point in the movie, he's become aware of his surroundings. Like I can't, re- I can be myself, but not really. Like he's had the tussle with the judge over his wardrobe multiple times at this point. And so he gets up there and he's like, so you're telling me these two youths. And then the guy stops him and then he just makes, oh, I love that he makes a big emphasis to correct himself over and over again. Oh, sorry. These youths. Are you on drugs? Yeah. yeah so. And I love the whole bit about I mean, I know I'm getting us off topic, but when the whole the whole like theme of the outfit. Yes. The, yes. How the judge is offended now that he can't get like the clothes, the red but suit and the mud. Like it's just, his clothes is a thing, the entire thing. It's so funny. That's I a loved, big fucking surprise. I love the explanation of the red suit he was wearing though. It's, it's like, well, you told me you wear a suit. I got the suit. I had it dry cleaned and pressed for you. Fell in mud. Had to go to some shitty store. So I can wear the leather thing, but you'd be mad. So I'm wearing the red <laughs> like, suit. It was... <laughs> One of those moments where just like sitting there and justifying your actions made for amazing comedy. Shall we enter our plea? Let's determine our verdict. Let's go. Let's select the jury. We have seven jurors that are our categories. Let's go. Let's war card. First war card of the new year. Woo! You, yeah, Hey, Drew, get that damn iPad out, man. It's 2023 and you got the same old iPad. Are you on AT&T or what? Do they not offer you free upgrade credits? What the fuck, man? <laughs> So just, oh just for, <laughs> so just for the listeners, the episode that is dropping or has dropped as for the time you hear this on the fifth, we actually recorded like way the fuck last year. <laughs> yeah. So this is the first episode of 2023. We all went to our cave and drank for a month. Yeah, we we got we all put on weight. It's really gross. <laughs> it's bad news. It's a good thing we don't do video. You don't want to see us. You don't want to see this shit. All right. Yeah. So Tom Cruise and Demi Moore against Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei. Kyle. Kyle. <sighs> I'm going to sound like a real homer here for my cousin Vinny, but you know, Marissa Tomei is a, is a true original in this movie. She's so memorable. And the thing is, is that these two make me gut laugh. Laugh. There's not a dead. There's not a dead moment in either of these movies. But as someone that loves to laugh, loves comedy in this format, I just never stopped laughing at these two. And Pesci, I love the way he acts. He's a top three actor for me. I love everything he's done. Tomei, legendary. I gotta go. I gotta go with those two. I, I really can't explain it much. I, and I like Tom Cruise. Demi Moore, I could, I could give her take on. The fact is, they before Demi Moore, they were gonna cast Jodie Foster or Julie Roberts. Julie Roberts was in there, but there was a third. Linda Hamilton. Linda our, Hamilton. Our yeah. Hey. Our girl, Linda Hamilton. So she could totally be military. Dude, Linda oh, Hamilton. Yeah, sure. She would have crushed it, bro. She would have been on that top ball yeah. team. Listen, again, I can't think of a lot of things wrong with the movie, but I can't help but think I want to see any of those actresses. Any. Oh, sorry. No, <laughs> no, no. As a jag, my friend, as a jag. But anyway, oh. my cousin Vinny, that's my go-to. Filskis. I also go my cousin Vinny. Even though the seriousness and the the realness, I felt like of a few good men, like had it just had a lot more gravity than my cousin Vinny. Uh, the performances of Marissa Tomei and Joe Pesci were just way more dynamic. And I feel like if you took those two out of that movie, that movie would suffer greatly. Whereas the story of a, a few Good Men was so good and like Aaron Sorkin's writing and, and the pacing and the in the cinematography and even the supporting cast in A Few Good Men was so quality that you know wouldn't want to do this but you could probably swap out Tom Cruise and Demi Moore and, and get a pretty similar product whereas in My Cousin Vinny no way so I go My Cousin I Vinny. love that explanation Drewski's. What Tom Cruise did was pretty impressive I think it, that role required a lot to be this like <laughs> softball playing super intelligent and yet almost like idiotic, not taking life serious. Like he, there was Somehow a fine cunning. line that he walked that I thought he did a really nice job. Demi Moore, I'm with you. I don't, I could take a leave. I, I don't think that she was necessary. I mean, she was tolerable. She was fine. She had good hair for 1993. But I think to Phil's point, you could plug in a Matt Damon, a Leo, uh, I'm trying to think of somebody more in this era, but there are other- Lindell, p- Linda Hamilton. There are other characters <laughs> that could have played this role role. Whereas, uh, yeah, I'm going to go My Cousin Vinny because that movie is just so unapologetically Joe Pesci and Marissa Tomei. They're just like inventing these people out of thin oh, air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Whereas you got this strong sense that, oh, Aaron Sorkin created these characters. Yeah. But in the other movie, Joe Pesci created that character. So I, I got to go My Cousin Vinny. You know, what's funny about My Cousin Vinny, like you have Aaron Sorkin's writing as a, as a backdrop for A Few Good Men. My Cousin Vinny is a few bad castings from being a Hallmark movie. You yeah, know absolutely. What I mean? It's like, 
like without those two, it's like the cast made that. Film. Yeah, I mean, down to the judge too. You get the wrong guy in that seat, and that character is just way less interesting. But yeah, they did such a good job of casting that movie, and I know I'm getting into supporting cast here, but they did such a good job of casting my cousin Vinny because every character is incredibly memorable physically. Their delivery, like Joe, no one looks like Joe Pesci. No one looks like Marissa Tomei. No one looks like uh, what the fuck's his face? Fred Gwynn. Lane Fred Smith. Gwynn, like. <laughs> Like he's those guys, everyone, and and the stuttering lawyer. Like, did you just say fucks his face? Yeah, somebody (laughs) fucked his face. Yeah, it's there's something with my cousin Vinny that it it just it's not that good of a story, but it's the performances make that film. That movie is predicated on really shitty communication. Is really what it comes down to. Like, if somebody just explains something more thoroughly, that movie doesn't happen. Yeah, (gasps) is that another tendril? Bad communication, possibly. But man, the communication in My Cousin Vinny, the whole reason those guys are even on trial is because everyone was too stupid <laughs> to ask for some fucking mm. clarification in that movie. Supporting cast! Get that supporting cast! Hit that sleepy button, turn it on, get the screen mm-hmm. on. It's a touch screen, so you can touch the screen. The buttons I mean, will work, man. It's my Cousin got a Vinny's browser. got a swinging chance on this one, but I don't know. <laughs> it's tough. Ralph Macchio, Mitchell Whitfield, Fred Gwynn, Lane Smith, Austin Pendleton. Really, really funny individuals. Total! Oh, Jane... I I love James Rebhorn, the guy that played George Wilbur. He was in The Game. He was in Sin of a Woman, mm-hmm. Independence Day. You'd have to look at his picture. But uh, A Few Good Men, Jack Nicholson, Kevin Bacon, Kiefer Sutherland, Kevin Pollack, Christopher Guest, J.T. Walsh, and on and on. Oof, Kevin Bacon did work on this, too. Bacon was good. Phil, your thought. Cuba Gooding Jr. <laughs> yeah, he pops Just up randomly. For a I mean, it's pretty tough to not go A Few Good Men here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Fred Gwynn, legend and all, like... I, I I truly think my cousin Vinny is 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 lesser without him in it. However, Few Good Men is far like Jack Nicholson's three scene performance. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's weird evil vibe that he had in that movie. Man, there was a thing going on with him. That that entire Kevin Bacon, that whole supporting cast was so overwhelmingly crucial that you can't I cannot go anything but a Few Good Men here. That, that was just that supporting cast was as good or better than the lead actors in that film. Drew's that case. was the most incoherent bullshit I've ever said in my life. <laughs> no, no. I, I could not go. I could not. Anything but anything. not a few good cousins. <laughs> it's the Sunday, the tomorrow, a few and good also nieces. Thursday. <laughs> yeah, that no, was, uh, hopefully you guys understood that, but that was that was really bad. I was tracking with you. Yeah. Jack Nicholson, iconic, legendary role. I mean, it's the most one of the most quotable roles. <laughs> I mean, I said, what do you want to discuss now? My favorite color? All the time because it's just so funny. You can't handle the truth. Hey, God damn right I did. <laughs> when he does that whole like, you need me on that, you want me on that wall, you need me on that wall, and, you know, and question the way in which I provide it. And frankly, I don't give a either way. Like all that stuff. Like he just like goes on and on. I'm like, oh, oh my god, so good. my jaws just wide open mm-hmm. and my hands are on my face. Like like it's just so good. And a lot of that is the writing, but it's not all the writing. Mm-hmm. It's the delivery and actually hearing that random about how many takes he put into it and how much work he put into that role. It makes a lot of sense because it mm-hmm. is so, so stellar. I mean, I could go on about the others, but to me, it's it's Nicholson puts it over the edge for me. Oh, yeah. good men. It's amazing what Nicholson did with that little time. And yes, the 50 take, I can't believe he exerted that much energy 50 times because he said it every time. Same energy. He brought the same level of intensity. I don't know if this is the time to discuss this, but Jack Nicholson, there was something really that I thought was really, really cool about A Few Good Men. That movie did an incredible job of presenting fully both sides of that situation of like the realities of what Jack Nicholson said like when you're asleep at night feeling super secure I'm the person putting their my life on the line constantly to make sure that you can feel that way so he felt this justification in running his unit the way that he wanted to run his unit because he was providing this immeasurable service for his country and so when he got done with that speech I remember being like I get it Tom Cruise hits back with the things he said and I'm like fuck I resonate with that too so it was almost that that movie had protagonists and antagonists but did a really incredible job of blurring the line between the two and making each side's story and reasoning equally important you know I this is one of the toughest categories and you know it's you could go either way in a lot of categories with this movie with these movies it, they're, they're utterly that legendary but I almost went my cousin Vinny because I feel like the supporting cast is a lot like I not not to reduce it down to a sitcom but you know Seinfeld one of the reasons it was so spectacular is because the amount of random side characters they bring in like Jackie Childs and all these random 
random side characters that that made up that show so well. And I think my cousin Vinny, Lane Smith is one of my favorite actors. You know, the the guy that played Trotter, the other lawyer. He's so funny. Yeah. He goes, oh, oh. He does that in every movie. He's not necessarily super dynamic, but he did Son-in-Law with Polly Shore. He's just a funny guy, and I love it. And Gwen, uh, you know, Pendleton, and, and all the witnesses, and all like they're all so well done. But I do go a few good men because A, they were able to land Jack Nicholson in a supporting role, and he is just pulls all the energy out of the room. He's so magnetic. I just can't even describe it. Like the minute he starts talking, all the focus is just yeah. on him. I, I have never seen so little screen time for a, a major actor and pull so much energy out of the room. So I actually did go a few good men myself, even though I do think the supporting cast of My Cousin Vinny is one of the things that made it special. And that's even considering a few good men had a couple of misses. Uh, some of the Marines they casted were, were not necessarily great, but yeah, I go a few good men. It is tied one to one. My Cousin Vinny, a few good men, our first bro category. Who would you rather hire as a lawyer? You get in an accident or you're getting sued and you need a lawyer? Who are you going to? You going to Caffey, played by Tom Cruise, or are you going to Vinny, played by my boy Joe Pesci? Caffey, this is not even a question. Yeah. Why? Because he's so he's so smart. Pesci, what's his name? Vincent Gambini. He's charming and lucky, maybe, but to me, Caffey is by far the, if you're in a bind and you need somebody to make up some bullshit to get you out of a sticky situation, it's definitely Caffey. Yeah, same. Caffey is just, the thing that impressed me about his character in that movie was, it was kind of like the movie version of Joe Pesci not rehearsing. Like, he just felt out each situation and winged it. Like, he knew in every situation what to do, what they needed. That part in the movie where uh, three weeks goes by in like five seconds when they're preparing for the trial, he just does such an incredible job of like galvanizing that group of people who kind of hates him a little bit. And then by the end of it, he and Demi Moore are like smashing crab legs together and uh, laughing at things at a shitty seafood restaurant. So anyway, he's uh, he's kind of a complete leader and can obviously bring the shit in the courtroom. So Caffey all day. Well, <laughs> not that my vote matters, but I, I would have gone Vinny. I like the blue collar. I love the, they're both fighting the system in both movies, but this idea that he was a blue collar mechanic, it took him six times to get the bar. I relate to that. I'm not a very academic myself, but somehow. Failed mechanic. Failed, I'm a failed, failed mechanic, <laughs> failed comedian. What did I say? What else was I failing at earlier? Oh, being an extra in a movie. Failing at everything. I relate to it. I love it. And, you know, maybe because I'm a Pesci homer, but not that it matters. But anyway, I do love the the blue collar climb. And I like how, you know, Machio is talking about when he's like rebuking the magician and all that. I just love the lore around that. Fight the system. Even in this small little town, they're still having a, to fight the man. I love that. But it is two to one. A few good men get into more bro categories. And we have a flex category here. Mm-hmm. You know how I like my flex categories. Biggest flex. Caffey's successful streak of 44 plea gar- bargains and never getting into a courtroom or Vinny taking the bar six times and it taking him six years to pass the bar. <laughs> biggest flex. <laughs> I feel like I need to look at this from a different angle because from to me that's very obvious. The like, anything is not a flex. That's something yeah, you that's should be ashamed. But look at the result he pulled out. Look at what he accomplished. Well, I would say... Causation there, and correlation. If there, Yeah, if there is a flex behind the Vinny th- situation taking the bar for six years, it's that he was obviously cognitively a very capable attorney who could do the job and, and argue the points and poke the holes and saw all the angles. But he just wasn't prepared on an academic level to pass the bar. So I think that's a massive flex to be that capable and that skilled, but not be able to like kowtow to the man. I still have to go a few good men here. Just that's a hell of a skill is to plead. Like you could see him trying not to go to trial most of that movie. And then once he realizes he has to go to trial, he's still looking for the angles. For as good of a hole poker as uh, old Vinny is, Caffey is just even better at it. So to me, it's a flex to have 44 plea bargains and not go to trial and then even get a hell of a plea bargain in A Few Good Men in like six months time served and then a dishonorable discharge, which instead they had to like fight out the whole trial situation. Then they got dishonorably discharged anyway. So, you know, sorry to spoil it, everyone. Well, that's between you and God. Drew. One thing I love about these two characters is they both share this kind of approach to the whole system that they just don't really give a shit. Not above it, but not afraid of it in any way and don't really take it super serious and kind of are comfortable enough in their own skin to sort of just like do it. And I appreciate that. I think it's a very, and it's a very distinct similar or a very distinct quality in both of them. But I think the bigger flex here is probably Caffey's plea bargains. I don't know that taking the bar six times and failing five is much 
much of a flex. That's actually something you probably don't bring up at parties. Uh, so I'll go Caffey here. A few good minutes. Again, I'm counter here. You know, I, God I like. damn it. Kyle. I know. You were such a homer. I know. Well, no, it's, I, I relate to the blue collar aspect. I like I like this. Uh, but that's not a flex. I think it is a flex. Listen, Caffey's dad was a, a flex legendary is something lawyer. that's like, that's impressive. That's it not is impressive. impressive. I think, I think Vinny's rise is impressive. Dude, Caffey's dad was a legendary naval lawyer. He, he came from royalty. He, he like, he Are came you saying from his, the gumption to stick with it? Yeah, the, the gumption okay. to stick with it, to okay. come from humble beginnings, to work in the... I, I love it. But there's it. also nothing wrong with carrying the family torch, because what good is family if you can't lay the groundwork for your heirs? You're asking the wrong guy. <laughs> hey, you you should... That's an aspiration for your I'd kids, rather put a say. torch to hey, my family. you don't want your son to take over this podcast someday. I could give or take. He'll probably ruin it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just, bum, bum, yeah, at this bum. point, where are they going to come on here and talk about Paw Patrol versus Blaze the Truck? I mean, I... <laughs> <laughs> you know, Blippy, Blippy, oh, ladies and gentlemen, God. wins. Dude, we Flex should get category. we should get our all of our kids on here one day to host. Well, it's three to one, <laughs> and we only have a few good opportunities left for my cousin Vinny to make a comeback here. So my few good opportunities here, but maybe this is the category that that helps here, and this is a fun category. What's the biggest shit show? Wazoo City, Alabama, or Guantanamo Bay? <laughs> <laughs> when I'm talking about the people, the witnesses, the systems, the ordinances, what's the biggest shit Damn. so I'll Ooh. go it's gotta be Wazoo City and that's not me being a homer these people were so just okay with mailing in the worst testimony it's like my I wasn't wearing my glasses but anyway it's like you couldn't see through the dirt it's just like they didn't give a shit they were just like well, I'm just gonna say whatever's on my mind and that's my testimony and then the mud and the tires and the grits and the, the awful 530 wake up calls and the 4 o'clock and the you know and then we got the guy that swindles Mona for the $200 and Pesci's gotta like you know negotiate with him and find the perfect time to kick his ass. I just think Wazoo City is just, it's out of control. So the the bigger shit show gets the point? Yes. Yeah, I would say yeah. so. Gotta have the shit show point here. Well, I mean, I think if as depicted in the films exclusively, I think you're right. I think Wazoo City is depicted as a bigger shit show because you don't really get a lot of Guantanamo Bay in this movie per mm -hmm. se. It's, it's, but you do get a lot of Alabama. <laughs> yeah, you A do. lot of Alabama. <laughs> yeah. What with the grits and all. In, yes. the, in the early 90s, yeah. Dude, yeah. that whole bit about when he, the whole point he makes about grits and like how long it takes to make and the whole jury was like mm -hmm. yeah there they're were like, so many good they callbacks were resonating with that mm -hmm. like I was like holy shit this is such a well there were like 10 callbacks in the court scene they like called back to the car they was driving and the angles like everything was planted earlier in the movie yeah I do love that every man like link that that movie had it was really catering to the, to a certain demo which mm -hmm. I thought was awesome but yeah I th I, the bigger shit show for sure Alabama this kind of goes back to a point that I made in one of the first bro categories so the Guantanamo Bay thing was definitely a shit show on a certain level, but I really resonated. I, I found that I'm really out of touch with society overall, but um, no. I, I really resonated with a lot of the things that Jack Nicholson's character said on the stand because like this was one, one thing that really blew me away about A Few Good Men was it so thoroughly presented a compelling case for the perspectives of both sides on this movie. Jack Nicholson justifying running his unit the way he wanted to, however immoral it was, he presented a hell of a case. It's like you get to sleep at night and you get to relax as an American citizen, but I'm the one out here putting my life on the line. My yeah. guys are the ones out here putting my life on the line. We're like the fence between you and total fucking mayhem. I get that. Like, because in all reality, and whether or not you want to acknowledge this or not, it's the fucking truth. So deal mm -hmm. with it. Unsavory shit is what gets the job done. Do things need to be a shit show, quote unquote, in order to function properly? On some levels, yeah. Like, does there need to be a certain level of discipline that may not be sanctioned by the military in order to keep those guys in line? Possibly. I'm not saying that's right or wrong. I'm just saying it's the way it is. However, that fucking mud infested <laughs> freaking good God. Got mud in your tires. Alabama pulling somebody over and just indiscriminately accusing them of being murderers with no evidence and poorly communicating. I shot the clerk. A guy's obviously asking a question and he's using it as a confession like he said I shot the clerk. Whatever. That that whole Alabama thing. My Cousin mm. Vinny, the whole movie is a shit show. Top to bottom. It's a circus. The movie is called My Cousin Vinny. Vinny. He's yeah. like, I got a lawyer in the family. Who is it? My Cousin Vinny. Like, that was such a great scene. But anyway, the whole movie is a shit show. It's based on horrible communication in a horrible place. Like, people are talking about mud in their tires and Michelin PX-59s or whatever, mm. not leaving the same skid marks. And that being from it. Arkansas, man, I've been to those towns. It was 
wasn't too far off, man. I've been to some towns, but when I was in my band and we would play some of these small Arkansas towns, like, holy smokes. You know you live closer to this movie now than in Arkansas. I know, yeah. it's crazy, right? Tennessee, we're the developed southern state. No, I love I love the point you just made, kind of the organized chaos, you know, that has to happen to keep things... You yeah. know what I love, though? There's a level of, of, of organized fucking anarchy that keeps things in mm -hmm. line. And the reality <sighs> is that because it happens, most people don't realize it happens, yeah. and so they judge it. But how mm. big of a mic drop was it for Caffey, though, when, when you know, all like you said, Jack Nicholson had a response for everything. He was poetic. Everything had a beautiful poetic response. But by at the end of the day, Tom Cruise was like, but you ordered the co-red. Yeah! Yeah, <laughs> well, because... Like, You're guilty. Mic drop. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you did Because that, that movie was just a beautiful illustration of the letter of the law and the realities of our general moral compass as a country versus the effectiveness of certain unsavory realities. What's crazy is, is Caffey was already in contempt if Jessup had just kept his mouth shut. It would have been over for mm -hmm. Caffey, mm -hmm. but he... He couldn't stop? He could, his ego was too big. He could not get yeah. out of his own way. That's a good point. Like, I'm being arrested for a crime? Yeah. Is that what's happening? Nicholson stays with you, too, after you watch this. Ooh, like, you just even does. saying it, like, it's still with me, his performance. I'm like, oh, he was so, oh. Those eyes, dude. We have two categories left before we determine who's guilty here of being the winner. Guilty <laughs> <laughs> of weenie? Oh, I love doing this. Oh, I love it. Is it, it just, isn't Kyle a great host? The best host. Kyle's Thank a great you. host. I could not do his job. I'm just here to fucking no, wing no. it and say insane bullshit, but Kyle, is he is the tie that binds. It I'm just here to watch movies and hang out with my hang out with my buddies. Thank you. It Kyle makes this whole thing per. Mm. It's so fun. It doesn't even feel like I'm doing anything. It's just pure fun. Like you said, with our boys, it's amazing. Here we go. I, I, I picked this a little bit of a passion subject for me because I love Lane Smith so much, who played Trotter, the, the opposing counsel. Best opposing counsel um, from our, our protagonist. So we have Kevin Bacon as Captain Ross, and then we have Lane Smith as Trotter. The, so basically, the lawyers, the lawyers facing our, our protagonists in the movies. I'll start. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. do it. Do your thing. Man, I, I'm, a, I'm a Kevin Bacon fan, and this is a recent thing. He, his show, City on a Hill, that's on Showtime, is really good. It's a gritty noir, and he does a fantastic job in it. If you haven't seen it, it's really good. When I first saw it, I was like, Kevin Bacon is like, is any actor just going to do a show now? It's really good. So I kind of went back. <laughs> Kevin, Kevin Bacon's awesome, man. He is sizzling. Bacon does this is have anything sizzling. to do with A Few Good Men? Yeah, because Kevin Bacon is the opposing counsel. Yeah. <laughs> I know, but I, I'm just saying. That I, should have no bearing. I'm no, just saying. No, it does. Well, you know, just, something like, made 30 years later. On a hill, just throwing the flag on this. How old well, is he now? Like 70? I, I don't think he's that old. Well, also, no. shout out to Guardians of the Galaxy Christmas special. <laughs> <laughs> Because that featured Kevin Bacon, oh, and he okay. was phenomenal. Okay. I thought he was hilarious in that. Before City on a Hill, I really just didn't think about him that much. And then after, I, I grew to respect him as an actor. I'm he's just saying. aged unbelievably well. But there is no, and I originally discovered my love for, no, Lane Smith also has passed away, much like Fred Gwynn. I first saw Lane Smith in one of my favorite movies. It's a comedy, Son-in-Law with Polly Shore. And Lane Smith is in that. He plays the father-in-law. And he, he does the same thing in every movie. Oh, 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 a judge. He's just the, the halting, the gut governor voice, you know, the dirty governor voice you think about in movies. He invented that, man. He's just so good. I do go with him. I do think Kevin Bacon plays it better and his character has more to do and he's more convincing, but I just grew a lot of respect for him. I love mm. Lane Smith. Rest in peace. So I do go my cousin Vinny here. Drewski's best opposing counsel. Trotter was fun. I, I enjoyed his performance. However, I do think that this, this is where the rub for me pitting a drama against comedy, because it's really easy to get going on a comedy and enjoy it and be like, yeah, he was really funny. Kevin Bacon wasn't funny. I'm going with the crotch. Like, but if I'm trying to zoom out and really look at this from a film kind of fan perspective, I did appreciate how Kevin Bacon, there was some like character there in the sense that he had some morality and he was actually hoping, I don't know, you just sense that he didn't really necessarily want to be defending the people, he, you know, but he was just doing his job. And so I, I appreciated that perspective and you know, just that scene when he like walked away from the basketball game. And I don't know, I thought he was, even though his tank top was horrendous, by the way, I'll go Kevin Bacon. I think I love do. a good tank top. I wanted to harken back on what you said going back to the supporting cast. We didn't even really talk about Kevin Bacon. He's so like this cast is so stacked. He's kind of buried in there. And he's in 1993. Kevin Bacon is a big fucking deal. Yes. So so for the fact the fact that he could show up to a cast with Nicholson and Cruz and be like, I'm cool, like mm -hmm. no pride, like I'm just gonna do me and like and play the background fiddle. Like he mm -hmm. did a really good job. He didn't try to do anything to upstage them. He just did what was asked, and it was great. And he's actually approaching his descent here. I mean, he has been a 
legend. He's actually kind of approaching that that level off in his career. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. One thing I love, I'm sorry, Phil Ski, not to interrupt, but no. I, one thing I loved about Bacon, we didn't talking. talk about supporting cast. Him and Cruz are friends. <laughs> sorry to interrupt. That's not a word. <laughs> well, Just sitting I, over here. He took a deep breath, though. Having loud thoughts. That's a, that's a subconscious you know, I'm getting ready to talk Like he wants to wind I up. This is wind up. I you breathe deeply. Social awareness, Kyle. Yeah. You're, you're, I heard the breath. Sorry to interrupt. Listen, I okay, like, I, I heard your breath, and I don't give a shit. I'm talking. Good. <laughs> <laughs> you shouldn't. Bacon and Cruz, their characters are friends. They do such a good job playing Bacon. off. Like, yes, they got to do business together. <laughs> I'm sorry. Did you guys just imagine a restaurant like in Nashville called Bacon and Cruz? <laughs> Dude, <laughs> I, literally, that's what I'm sitting over here laughing. Like, and also the concept of a bacon cruise, like where you're just like on a ship and there's just fuck tons of bacon. And you're just like, oh God. Since I know. But it's like, a play on word because you like sit out in the sun and bake. Like, yeah, bacon, bacon and, and cruise. cruise. And since I know based on the demographics of our pod, some of our folks live in Nashville, not a lot. Our city has a bad propensity to just for the last five years only open five star restaurants. So like when you look at new restaurants, like, oh, another five star restaurant is like, oh, welcome to Bacon well, Cruise, also, the home of the new duck fat fried $70 tater tot And it's appetizer. always blank and blank. It's well, yeah, something it's and something. Ampersand, the ampersand rules Nashville. Like everything, mm -hmm. I mean, this might be nationwide, but like I feel like you're not a legitimate establishment of any kind, whether you're selling food or condoms, if you're not throwing a fucking ampersand in there. So yep. it's like sex and condoms. Mm -hmm. And it's like, oh, there's two of them now. Ooh, and there's this separated new bar called an Sex and Condoms. Yeah, it's like, what is it? Nobody knows. Nobody you know? knows. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, I, I did want to highlight, I love, they do such a great job playing up the dynamic that we're friends, but we got to, you know, the, the Venn diagram crosses for us to do business and do the law thing, but outside of it, we're friends. And I love how well they played that up. Where are we at? Am I the tiebreaker here? Uh, Yes. Lane Smith as uh, Trotter versus Bacon as Ross. This is really difficult because... They're both good. Man, like, they're both great. Like, I think back to my cousin Vinny and the Trotter scenes where you can tell he's less interested in the gravity of the case and more interested in putting on a show for the jury. Like, mm. everything that somebody says on the witness stand, he turns around and emphasizes it to With the his jury. hands. With his hands. <laughs> it's like, da, 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 and he's, he's just got his money. hands out. And then Kevin Bacon, just his assuredness in everything he's saying and the way he puts it across, he's like, this is not debatable or this is how it happened. Oh, I'm making a game time decision here. Um, I think I have to go motherfuck. Um, <laughs> Gosh, think man. about how Lane Smith says, I think not I go, to try to convince you, but think about how Lane Smith goes, ah, that's shut it. Shut up. Um, <laughs> I think I go Lane Smith here just because of like the, yes! like, damn it. it I, it's, it's by a ball here. Um, <laughs> it oh just, I, I don't really have a good reason other than like his performance to me was more memorable. He's just so proud of being like this badass attorney in bumfuck Alabama. And he <laughs> does a great job. Like he's really yes. good, but he plays that jury like, like a fucking fiddle. He knows his people. He gets in front of them. He he speaks their language, and it's super memorable. Kevin Bacon was amazing, but there was like that that aspect of of Lane Smith's performance mm -hmm. was just it was ab truly unforgettable. So I go MCV here. And hearing you guys talk, I just uncovered another tendril. Both of the opposing counsel are they represent company men, like they are the establishment. They're the people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Lane Smith as Trotter. Trotter is old money, and they say this in the commentary. He's supposed to represent old wealth, small town city wealth. Mm -hmm. Ross is the company man. They're both company men just doing the job. You know yeah. what I mean? And a tough by going MCV, my cousin Vinny, you gave us a tie for the last category. Uh -huh. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Oh, yeah. All right. This is a big category, burr, though. Burr, burr, burr. I was so pumped that my cousin Vinny's got a shot. You don't get a lot of ties on this podcast, but when you do, you exploit it. Best final courtroom scene. Oh, come the on. The courtroom is the finale of both of these movies. They're both spectacular, and you can take in my cousin Vinny the culmination of the courtroom scenes and add them to if you want, but obviously there's the penultimate in A Few Good Men, the Jack Nicholson scene. Best, you can also say just best courtroom scene, whatever. I'll go. I mean, we, I, we've been over this, but from Sorkin being at the peak of his powers mm -hmm. to the moments that I shared with my dad as a child and watching this mm -hmm. 37 times since then to just the infinite quotability of both Nicholson and crew. I mean, is that clear? Crystal. I say that all the time. Like, it's just so, so quotable and memorable and if it's on, I'm going to watch it and I talk about it and I'm, I, I quote it with friends at parties. Like, it's just, it's part of who I am at this point. A few good men. No question. Yeah, as uh, my cousin Vinny Lifer got so many memories attached
watched this movie. Some of them I'm not going to repeat on this podcast. <laughs> I go a few good men here because that ending scene, it was breathtaking. Like there's no, like you're watching it and, and like the performances on both sides are, they're important. They're captivating. Mm. Like I, there's not enough adjectives in the world to describe the excellence and the and the delivery and the conviction of Jack Nicholson juxtaposed with the skill and savvy and, and maneuverability of Tom Cruise's character. So I go a few good men just because that final courtroom scene is possibly one of the, the greatest scenes in, in movie history. Wow. I thought I thought that was beautiful. I don't know how to follow that up, honestly. Really well said. It is important. I think that there's there's a weight there to that mm-hmm. scene that, that my cousin, obviously my cousin Vinny is not trying to have. And it is great. I mean, it's so funny and it's like, and all mm. the, the way she puts together, like out of nowhere, she just like nails all this mechanic car shit and blows mm-hmm. everybody. Like it's, it's <laughs> that part was amazing. It's satisfying and it's entertaining and it's fun. Mm-hmm. It's not realistic though. But it's insane. Yeah. And and few, a few good men, I love how like everything you said and then at the end, it almost like enters into comedy. Mm-hmm. He's like, am I being arrested for a crime? When he gets mad and he's like, I'm going to piss in your dead skull or whatever. Yeah. And he's like, <laughs> that You're under arrest, you oh son of a bitch. Like, it just gets kind of crazy <laughs> like, yeah. at the end there. Yeah. So uh, I don't know. It just sort of like it lightens the, the moment in a good way where everybody else was like kind of like coming to and it's like, okay, good. They're now they're yelling and saying and see, and saying oh. things. It's kind of nice now to relax. I also, real quick, just want to say now that we're at the end I took of the my situation. Breath. Yeah, shut me? the fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry to interrupt you. <laughs> Um, Sorry to interrupt your breathing. <laughs> these movies like this are literally why we do this podcast. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the beginning of the year. You're reflecting on shit like you're ready for the new year. Like everybody's feeling real good about themselves right now, hopefully. The movies like this are why we do this podcast. And I'm reminded of that every time we come across two juggernauts like this that are not just juggernauts for the sake of being juggernauts, but they're juggernauts because they have something to say. They have a lesson to teach you. They make you think. They make you feel something. And mm. these two movies accomplish that. And yes. so it's mm-hmm. it's honestly really cool to be sitting here talking about these two films and that somebody, anyone cares to listen to it, uh, to what we have to say about it. So if there's ever been two movies that you need to watch back to back, I think it's these. So go do it. I'll, yep. just, I'll just leave that. Yeah, yep. Phil's having a moment right Phil's now. Having I, a moment. I, I'm, I'm like hype manning you right now because I, so I relate good. to it because I've seen so many of these movies. Um, well, problem is I went through a super like insane movie phase but right before we started this podcast. Mm-hmm. So, and that's part of why I'm part of it, which is great but now I'm re- I, most of them I'm re-watching movies that I just saw in the last you know three to four years so it's like I'm just oh yeah that's great I remember that was great but what I love about this podcast is when I have moments where like when I saw Castaway I hadn't seen that or <gasps> I hadn't seen A Field of Dreams in 20 years I was You're so like, excited for you to see mo- Castaway like every once in a while we'll do a, we'll cover a movie I'm like oh, I haven't seen that and I'll watch it and I'll be like oh my god where has this film been my whole life and I feel like right. that's kind of how you're, what oh. you're feeling about A Few Good Men a few so good it's like men, it's such like, a great feeling to watch something that's so good and to realize that oh the world has loved this movie and now I'm part of that conversation yeah. like it's just kind of a cool feeling also there's just something to in a world where I feel like everything is dated to death and manufactured based on that data it's really really refreshing to be reminded that humanity is capable of trying shit and it turning out great because I feel like we're kind of in a place right now where that's not a thing and so watching these two movies just reminded me that of, of what we can do and what we're capable of as creatives and as people and everything. And so it was just a really, really cool experience getting to watch these two movies back to back. Moral of the story, go watch old movies, people. Yes. Go watch old movies. Rewatch. Some great stuff out there. Kyle! Yes. It doesn't matter, Uh, but what do you think? Y'all were having a moment and I loved it. I don't know how else to say it, but I'll I'll try to put my own spin on it. You know, I am a My Cousin Vinny Lifer and and I think the comedy is, A, like Phil said, they don't make comedies like this anymore. There's a rhythm, there's an intentionality, and there's a callback in these court scenes where they call back the little seeds and you don't even expect it because it's a comedy but there's intelligence behind the design of this movie and it's built on the backs of two actors that are kind of you wouldn't guess would be you know they wanted Robert De Niro originally for the Vinny role and Pesci just comes in and Tomei comes out of nowhere and it's just so brilliantly done their chemistry is so vibrant but Jack Nicholson while you guys were talking it inspired me I just wanted to go back and just revisit his filmography we've talked a lot about actors that have stayed relevant and made good work 
work through multiple decades. Keanu Reeves is someone we talk about a lot who, you know, 80s, 90s, 70s, 2000s, 2010s, like every decade he's putting out good work. That's an understatement for Jack Nicholson. This is a guy that finds opportunities in every decade he's been working to leave iconic imprints on the decade he's working in. You go back to One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest in Chinatown in the 70s, The Shining in 1980. You get to 92 and you get a few good men. This isn't a guy who's doing work every decade. This is a guy who's like coming in reminding you I'm fucking fantastic at this every decade. <laughs> and in some decades doing it multiple times. This is just one of those scenes that's going to go down if the world burned to the ground and an asteroid hits us and they're looking through the archives into the rubble and they pull out the Jack Nicholson tape, you know, they're going to be like, holy shit, that was happening, you know? And we got Tom Cruise and Demi Moore and Kevin Bacon. A few goats are in the room when this is happening, but all you can think about and look at is fucking Jack Nicholson just going to town. And it's it's just something to behold. You don't get a lot of those. And I, you know, I just, I was pulled in and I'm just, I don't know about you guys, but it's not just jaw drop. You said jaw drop. I was unblinking. I was just, if you're not, if you're listening, you're not seeing Kyle, my eyes. Kyle's not blinking I'm not right blinking. Now. I'm he unblinking. He hasn't blinked in like 30 I'm actually anti-blinking. I'll tell you guys about that over cigars, but I've become anti-blinking actually. And it's, a, <laughs> it's a, but I'm just, <laughs> what? Keeping Nicholson. your eyeballs moist is overrated. And Daniel Day-Lewis even, like he's a great actor, but he doesn't necessarily like just take over the screen like Nicholson does here. I, I would mean, agree with that. Cruz? Yeah. Uh, well, I'm talking about Daniel Day-Lewis is a fantastic actor oh. and one of the best ever, but he still does it quite like Nicholson here where Nicholson just like, like a vacuum, just uh, all the just energy. Chews all the scenery up. Yeah, yeah, and it's so good. So again, I, I would give my cousin Vinny a 10 out of 10 here, but this is just Nicholson like leaving his imprint Spike on fucking art. fucking back. Exactly. Like you, I love your Spike back references, but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> I, I feel like Phil over here. I feel like we all had a moment there. You two had a much better moment than I had. I had a quasi moment. A I kind of wrote on your coattails there for a minute, but it's four to three. Our verdict is guilty as in a few good men wins by a point, but these were two great films to talk about. I'm so glad we finally had our courtroom drama. We finally were able so to settle good. that. So good. What a way to kick off the year. Uh, thank you for joining us. I hope you all have a great year. Not to be cheesy, but I hope it's a good one. Actually, it's probably going to be a dud. So set your expectations low, but keep rocking with Movie Wars podcast. Did you order a code red? This is Kyle. You're goddamn right I did. It's true. You can't handle this podcast. <laughs> it's Phil. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to just say, you can't handle the Phil. Yeah. <laughs> you can't. <laughs> Phil, you can't handle. Love you and see you at the Sack of Suds. Bye-bye. Sack of Suds. Yeah.